the book of Ephesians chapter 4. This week for me has been a rather chaotic week in the sense of just trying to land my airplane, as it were, with these texts. My initial plan was to take verses 25 through 28 and then verses 29 through 32 as two messages. And as I got into them, I realized that it would be best for us and in the state of the culture in which we're living in that so influences us that it would be better if I divided up into two messages, verses 25 through verse 28. And so my initial, my second plan was to do what's in your bulletin. Then as I got into actually writing the message, (laughs) I realized that I needed to spend more time in each one of these. And so I decided that I was going to take a message at least for the first one, if not for the next two. And then as I got into writing it, I realized that I needed to take a whole day in verse 25. So that's what we're going to be doing. How do you like that little pilgrimage? Uh, We're going to be spending this morning looking at the doctrine with some application of verse 25. And then this afternoon, I want to actually put some feet on how to do this and how to incorporate this into our hearts and lives. So I hope that uh, it is not uh, too much of a concentration for us to do that. I know for myself, I have been richly uh, strengthened and shown some new things here in this passage that I think would be helpful for all of us. So what I want to do is read verses 25 through verse 32. And as I do, I want you to note that this section is primarily dealing with a particular organ of your body. And that is your tongue. So let's begin Ephesians 4 verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. (coughs) Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving each other, <clears throat> just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And you'll note in chapter 5, verse 1, the very first word is the word therefore, just like it is in chapter 4 and verse 25. There is a way in which we have learned Christ. And there is a way in which we are continually learning Christ. And if we have learned Christ properly, then we know with no shadow of doubt that the New Testament exhorts and commands us to walk no longer in the former manner of way that we used to walk. This is an optional This isn't something, some higher plateau of the Christian life. Every believer is to make it his aim to do that. Not to walk according to this age and the things that this age deems appropriate. To not walk having the mindset of the flesh. To not walk in the wills of our flesh or according to our feelings and to our desires. And we have learned as we have looked at those two manners of life that there is something that is clear and that is these two ways of walking are decisively distinctive. There's no overlap. There's no gray area in which we can kind of float around and have a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. We are either walking according to this age, having that mindset and those wills and desires, or we are walking in newness of life. We are walking in the process of renewing the spirit of our mind. And when we do that, we end up laying aside certain behaviors and walking in a new way. And people will see that. They'll note that. There will be different ways of thinking that you will have. There will be different ways of communication that you will have. Not merely that you don't go to certain geographical locations, that you don't merely act like dating or fornication, although those are included. There will be a radical newness, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And this happens in a believer's life because we don't have a mere academic knowledge of God and Father and of His Son, we have a relational knowledge of Him. He knows us. And we know Him. We don't know Him as we ought to know Him. But we do know Him. And that relational knowledge leads to a transformation of being. Who we are in our inner man. And it's amazing to me, our default, even as believing people, is to count people's works as expressions of who they are, even though we know that people can cover over evil hearts with good works.
The Scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Who a person really is isn't so much defined by their external actions. Who they really are is defined by the thought processes that are going on inside of them. Does everybody see that? Because we miss that when we're dealing with people. One of the hardest things about counseling is trying to bring out of the well of the heart, not the W-H-A-L-E, the W-E-L-L, the well of a person's heart, what is going on inside of them. Because that's what they are dealing with and that is who they really are. So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we know that and we see that, but we, we default to saying, well, that person is zealous or that person goes soul winning or that person does this or that person does that. So therefore, they're spiritual. Not necessarily. Do we see that? It's what is going on inside of them. That is who they really are. And folks, that transformation, this relational knowledge that leads to a transformation of being, leads to a transformation of our walk. It has to be in that order to be well-pleasing to God. Now, each one of these things that I have read through here, in verse 25, speaking the truth, verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin, verse 28, he who steals should steal no more, but rather he must labor. All of those three things. Truth. Anger and work are all being depreciated in our culture today. Every one of them. It's being perverted, it's being redefined, and it is being neglected. And folks, all of that is swirling outside of the church. Last week I showed my wife a picture And in the nation of France, they have a retirement age of 62. If I was in France, here I go, off into retirement, because I'm 62. And the government who has imposed this artificial, unscriptural retirement age is now in financial difficulty. So they want to raise it to 65. They want to raise it three years. And I showed my wife this picture, and the picture was full of people, and the caption said, and I believe it, a million people in France got together and marched on the government against this. A million You can talk to my wife, you can go back in the last week, that was all over the news service. Just 
million of people who were marching against this. And folks, is it not interesting that your Bible really never tells you when to stop working? Even the priest, when they retired from active duty, still were being used as priests for instruction and teaching of the younger priest. All the days of their life as they had the health and ability to do so. In our nation today, there is a priority put on not working. We count people happy who retire at 52. God says the opposite. In the church today, we don't know how to funnel our anger. Isn't it interesting in verse 26 that God tells you to be angry? Did you read that? Be angry. I think our tendency is is that all anger is wrong. God says be angry. And we'll take a look at that, Lord willing, <clears throat> next week. But if there is something that is at the heart of everything, it is the fallen nature of truth in our land today. Truth is minimized, it is relativized, it is individualized, it is twisted, it is neglected, in many cases, voluntarily neglected. That we would rather walk in the imaginations of our own heart than we would to want to know and pursue truth. Nothing can be trusted in our culture today. Have you realized that? And you're part of that. If I was to ask you or to take a survey with people in the community or people in the church, do you trust government today? The answer would be no. Why? Truth has fallen to the ground. If I was to ask you today, do you trust the medical field today? The answer probably would be no. The doctor tells you something, you don't take it as the truth, you have to go and do what? You have to research it, you have to become aware of it. There's an element of that that is good, I'm not depreciating that. I'm just saying the reason why we're not doing it is because we can't take someone at their word. If there's a medical thing or a laboratory testing, we question whether or not it's been done accurately. If someone tells us something, we question whether that per person is really telling us the truth. We live in a world of conspiracy theory, extremism, suspicion, casting blame, sometimes dirt on other people because this is the way that we are. We would much rather believe the lie than we would 
to walk in truth as the Scripture has given it to us. And brethren, the church of Christ is not immune to these pressures. Entering into the church and entering into the believing people of the church today. Do you agree with that? It is here. And there are vast numbers of churches today that have forsaken the truth and joined on the bandwagon of all of these conspiracy-type things that are floating around out there and saying, I want to be on the bandwagon of distrusting everything that I am to be the pursuing of truth. And folks, it's doing nothing but destroying us. Lies, falsehood, is destructive. It is destructive. You can't even go to the store and when the store says, lowest price ever, (laughs) you know that's not true, don't you? And so immediately you have to take an hour of your life to try to find the lowest price for the product that you believe the Lord would have you to purchase. I was reminded as I was thinking through this, by the way, this is just an introduction. I was thinking through this, I saw a picture, it was black and white so you know how long ago it was. It was from a company, I don't think they're in existence anymore. <clears throat> they were, it was called Woolworth. Any of you remember Woolworths? Okay, anybody over 55 remembers that. And <clears throat> they had a caption and they had, these, they had these bins. They weren't even laid out nicely, but they had these bins. And in these bins were shirts. They had two or three bins there. And <clears throat> it had a sign over it with the price. And then it would tell you the quality and the shortcomings of the shirt that you were buying. So you could buy the better quality and it would say these are better quality, this is made out of this, and this is, this is how you were to take care of them. Here's the lesser quality, it would just be identified right there. And I thought, we've come a long way from that. Because if a person can make something look high quality, they will sell a low-quality item today. And you know that. And that makes you distrustful, doesn't it? This is the culture in which we are living. And it does, this world's conforming pressure does come against us. And brethren, I just want to exhort you right from the beginning to resist that with all your being. I am not saying to be naive, but I am saying not to walk around saying, as the psalmist said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. That's that's not a good spirit to be walking around with. Now, as we begin to look at our passage, verse 25, I want to just bring to our mind that what we have is the law, the Ten Commandments, 
being used to support the commandments of Jesus Christ to us under the new covenant. And I'm just going to begin with the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is to honor thy father and mother. And I want you to note in Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with promise. So is the law being used to support a command from Jesus Christ? It is. If you look at the sixth commandment, if you look at chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. And you'll realize that the sixth commandment is thou shalt not murder. And Jesus said, you have heard it said of old time, thou shalt not murder. But I say unto you, don't be angry with your brother without cause. We have the seventh commandment in chapter 5 and verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as it is appropriate to the saints. We have the eighth commandment in chapter 4 and verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer. We have the ninth commandment being seen in chapter 4 and verse 25. Our text for today, speak truth to one another. And then we have the 10th commandment about covetousness in chapter 5 and verse 5 when he says this. He's already mentioned greediness, but he says this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man. So is love the fulfillment of the law? The answer to that is yes. And does Christ use the law in a supportive manner for the commandments that he's giving to New Testament believers? The answer to that is, of course, what? Yes. But in this passage, in Ephesians 4, verse 25, he is not beginning this imperative, this command, by quoting the law. But he is quoting a prophet. And he is quoting Zechariah chapter 8. And I want us to turn there. And hopefully it won't take you too much time to find it. It's in the minor prophets. And they're not minor because they're unimportant. They're minor because there's not very much length to their writing. In Zechariah chapter 8, this chapter deals with the redeemed of God And it deals with the city of Jerusalem that both the city and the redeemed would be characterized by truth. And so in Zechariah chapter 8, if you look at verse 3, thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of what? Truth. Everybody see that? God's going to do something so that this city would be called the city of truth. Look down in Zechariah 8 and verse 8. And I will bring them back and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Then we have the quotation in Zechariah 8 and verse 16. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth 
to one another. Does everybody see the quotation there? In other words, we've got a city, and it's a city of truth, and God's going to do something to the redeemed so that we would serve Him and worship Him, and He would be our God in truth. And so that being the case, we're to speak truth one to another. He'll say it again in verse 16. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. And lastly in Zechariah chapter 8, look down at verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. So love what? Love truth. So you got the city of truth, you got the redeemed being of the truth. So therefore we're to speak truth to one another, we're to make our judgments in truth, we're to love this truth with all of our heart and all of our being. And Paul quotes that from Zechariah chapter 8. So if you go back to the book of Ephesians, what you're going to find is the same emphasis <clears throat> Here, primarily, here in this chapter. Look back, Ephesians. You're here in Ephesians 4. Look back at verse 15. We're to grow up in Him in all things, speaking the what? Truth in love. Or verse 21. If indeed you have heard Him and been taught in Him, just as the truth is in Jesus you got verse 24, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You have our text in verse 25, to speak the truth. You have Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And he's going to finish this book in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14 when he gives to us the armor and says, Stand firm, therefore, having your loins girded with, with truth. Truth is to be the predominant label of every believer. It's to characterize our thoughts, our heart, our actions, our speech, Everything about us, we are to be people of the truth, people of the book. So I want to preach to you this morning on walking in holiness of truth. The first thing that we are to be doing in verse 25 is to lay aside falsehood. To lay aside falsehood. The Greek word for the word falsehood is lie. And it has an article in front of it referring to the lie. It could be equally translated this way. Therefore, laying aside the lie. What is the lie? <clears throat> well, in general, the lie is anything outside of Christ. Let that, let, let that sink in just a little bit because that's going to be very, very important. 
It is any tr- anything <clears throat> contrary to God in Christ. Christ is truth. Jesus himself said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. If we want to know what truth is, truth is Him. And our parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9 states it this way. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Having been saved from that manner of life, we are to not walk in the lie. Anything that is outside of Christ being the truth of God. And so, brethren, at this point, what we need to understand is this. You and I need to settle it in our hearts. We need need to take it like a tent peg and just nail it in our hearts that all forms of falsehood, all forms of falsehood is characteristic of this world. This world is full of darkness. It is full of lies. The reality that is being televised by the world, being advertised in their teaching, is a lie. It's a lie. And yet how memorizing it is to us, to our young people, to be beguiled by it. All forms of falsehood are of this age. Every age of human history has particular forms of the lie that are elevated to almost a religious doctrinal emphasis. These forms of falsehood are part of the old man in Adam. And brethren, the lie is characterized and bears the nature of the evil one. The evil one. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. And I just want to point out something here that is going to be very, very helpful as we try to determine what it means to speak truth to one another. And I'm building here. All forms of falsehood are to be laid aside. All forms of falsehood are characteristic of this age. All forms of falsehood come from the very nature of the evil one. The devil himself. That old serpent. And in John chapter 8... Jesus is confronting the religious people of that day. And he's confronting them because they are confronting him. And they're confronting him because they don't understand the nature of salvation. That they themselves are evil. 
are in need of the salvation that can only come from God. And Jesus is telling them the truth, and they are not hearing what he is saying. They are arguing with him, they are justifying themselves, they are debating with him, but in their hearts they are not listening to what he is saying. And so he asked this question in John 8, verse 43. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Do you understand what he's saying? They can't understand. They don't have the ability to understand truth because they don't have the ability to hear it. They're not wired. In the old days, you used to have a radio and you had a little dial and you had to turn that dial very, very carefully to tune in to the station. Human hearts are tuned to the lie. So therefore they have not the ability to hear truth. And then Jesus makes this impressive, shocking statement. John 8 verse 44. You are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. Does everybody hear what he's saying there? You are part and parcel. You have been, as it were, begotten. You are of the family of the devil. You bear his likeness. And in your heart, even though they're religious, even though they're Jewish, they want to do the desires of that fallen likeness. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. So folks, when we're talking about the devil, what we're talking about is a being that in that fallen, wicked, evil one, no truth. None. Absolute darkness in the heart of that being. But then he makes this statement. Whenever he speaks the lie, and you might have a little number there, and if you look in the margin you'll see that there's an article there, is the lie. When he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own nature Why? For he is a liar and he is the father of what? Lies. Lies. So folks, when we're asking the question, how how did the world have so much falsehood in it? 
There's a source to all this falsehood. To the falsehood of Buddhistic practice. To the falsehood of Mormonism. To the falsehood of Hinduism. To the falsehood of a so-called Christianity that denies the power thereof. There's a source to all this. And it is the devil. And he is spreading those lies through fallen human beings. But folks, here's what I want us to understand. <clears throat> what is the lie according to John 8.44? The lie is anything that is not in accordance with the truth. Does everybody see that? But the lie is anything a person speaks from their own nature. Now, I'm, I'm pausing here to let that sink in a little bit. When we come up with things whose source is inside of us only. It is falsehood. And folks, you will remember that Jesus Christ Himself said, I do nothing of my own initiative. Did you hear that? He does nothing of His own initiative. The devil, he does everything from his own what? His own initiative. Christ did nothing from his own initiative. As I hear, those are words, right? As I hear, I judge. As I see, I do. Nothing sourced in the man Christ Jesus himself. Everything is a reflection and an echo of truth. But the devil, he speaks from his own. His own nature, his own self, his own ideas, his own ways. So when we say to ourselves, we must settle in our hearts <clears throat> that all forms of falsehood should be laid aside because it is characteristic of our former manner of life, that goes way beyond, folks, listen to me, it goes way beyond don't tell a lie. It, it means something deeper than that. And folks, that's what Ephesians 4 is now going to tell us. <clears throat> it's not merely that you and I should stop speaking falsehood, but it's that we are to stop speaking falsehood and speak truth. Each one of you. We are commanded as believers to be continually 
present tense. We are to be continually speaking truth. No exceptions to that. At any time and in any place. And again, I think it goes beyond just stop telling a lie. We should be truthful, should we not? But I think this is a little bit deeper than just be truthful, as is commonly proclaimed and taught. Why do I say that? Because there is a little phrase that has already been spoken that defines the truth that we are to be continually speaking. And you're here in Ephesians 4, and you're here at verse 25, but I want you to go back to verse 20. You, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth where? As in Jesus. Everybody see the boundaries here. Okay? It's not, it's not just being truthful, although we need to be truthful. And folks, unbelieving people can say truthful things, can't they? They could express genuine gratitude for something. But the truth that he's telling the church, each one of us, to be continually speaking is the truth that is in Jesus Christ the Lord. It is a particular form of the truth, if you want to word it that way. It's speaking the truth in the place of Jesus. It's speaking the truth as it is in Jesus. It is speaking the truth in the stead of Jesus. In other words, what we are to be speaking to one another is that we are to be speaking one another exactly what Christ would be speaking in that situation to that person. Nothing more, nothing less. And folks, we know that because of the passage I just read. Look at verse 20 again. You did not learn Christ in this way if indeed you have heard Him. Well, when did the Ephesians hear Christ in person? They didn't. How did they hear Christ then? When they heard Paul and his apostolic company speak truth as it is in Jesus to them. When they spoke truth as it was in Jesus to them, they were not merely hearing Paul and the apostolic company. They were hearing who? Him. And it says, verse 21, if indeed you have heard Him, and now having heard Him in the Gospel, and have been taught where? In Him. Does everybody see what I'm trying to point out here? 
there's an arena in which we are to be truthing, that we are to be speaking to one another in this way. And that arena is the truth as it is in Christ. We are not to be sourcing our opinions to each other, as it were. We're not to be merely communicating things that are outside of Him. We are to be taking as our speech and as our filter and as our arena in which we are operating and communicating the truth as it is in Jesus Christ Himself. Is Paul doing that in this letter? Yes. He is. He's not giving his opinions about the Caesar. He's giving them the truth as it is in Jesus. Now, please don't take what I'm saying to mean you can't talk about a favorite recipe. (laughs) Or you can't say to someone, this is my personal opinion. But the predominant arena in which we are to be communicating is exactly what Christ would be communicating on that particular issue, on that particular person, at that particular moment. Our speech is to be seasoned with grace. We're to allow the word of Christ to be dwelling richly in this congregation and in us as believing people. And this is applicable to whether you are speaking to one another as believers or whether you are speaking to your neighbor as a lost person. And you'll notice here in the context, in verse 25, Paul says, the way it's translated is, speak truth, each one of you, with his who? With his neighbor. Why didn't he say brethren? And the reason is, is that our translators followed the Septuagint, which says neighbor. But the Hebrew text says one another. And we read it when we read Zechariah 8 verse 16. And I do think that it is speaking truth to one another here is the proper way to look at it because of the reason he gives for it. Verse 25, we are members of what? We're members of one another. We are to be continually speaking truth Each one of us, no matter our age, no matter our maturity, no matter our economic status, we are to be continually speaking the truth as it is in Jesus to one another. Why? We are members one of another. And folks, you know what it is, perhaps, I hope you don't, but you know what it is to have a body in which different signals are being sent to different members of your body at the same time. That person needs medical assistance, don't they? If I tell my right arm to be lifted and then I tell my left arm to do the exact opposite when both of them should be lifted at the same time, I have a dysfunctional what? of a dysfunctional body. When the signals of your brain get filtered out into other arenas or there's a so-called leak through your spinal cord, things don't function properly, right? And this is the way it is in the body of Christ. 
the message that's coming from the head through the nerve to each member of the body is to be the truth as it is in Jesus. And then you and I are to be echoes of that truth no matter what situation that we are in one to another. So first of all, we are to lay aside all forms of falsehood. Secondly, we are to be speaking truth, each one of you, with his neighbor or with one another. And the reason is, is because thirdly, we are members of one another. Now really, that could be a message in and of itself. We are to be speaking truth in Jesus to each other because the body is one. We are in union and harmony with the head, which is who? Christ. The head is associated with thoughts. When you think, we normally, in our culture, don't think, well, as a man thinks in his heart, we normally think as a man thinks in his brain or in his head. We are in union and we are in harmony with the head. We've learned in Ephesians 3 and 4 that each member of this particular New Testament body is gifted and placed in a local New Testament church Why? For the good of one another. Did you hear that? Your gifts are not for yourself. And when we speak to one another a lie, when we speak to one another falsehood, when we speak to one another things that are not in agreement with the truth as it is in Jesus, what we're doing is deceiving one another. And we are corrupting one another. And we are darkening one another. And we are hardening each other. And folks, that's not edification, is it? That is destructive. And you know that it's destructive. We have a church in our New Testament, the church at Corinth, that was destroying itself through carnality. Folks, we are members of one another. And what that means is, is that unlike our former manner of life, how do we used to live? You live for yourself. Did you hear that? You lived your life individualistically. It really was all about you. You lived your life independently, and if you're a child like I was as a lost teenager, you couldn't wait until you could be independent and live for 
yourself alone. Am I right? That's the former manner of life. That's what the world's telling us today. You've got to do what's right for you. No, you don't. It's for God and His glory. It's not for you. The world's teaching our young people to live for themselves. It's amazing to me that they, they, they tell 10-year-olds that they have the ability and the wisdom to live their life on their own. 10-year-olds. That you get to tell the teacher what you won't taught. You know what's best for you. If what you want to do is stay in the corner with a coloring book all your life, that's good. You're exerting your creativity. Hogwash. You're destroying the child. You hate the children. Don't hide it under a guise of love and concern. And you're destroying our nation. Folks, the only way that our nation can come to the place of having a change of government is if it dumbs down the population to where they can't think. They don't know how to think. They don't know how to evaluate. They don't know how to argue ideas. They have no viewpoint of human history. It's corrupting. And what happens is, and this is, I have found that it is almost impossible to get believing people to embrace what I'm about to say. Believing people because they have been so passively conformed by this world and in many cases supported by the church. They think the church is here to serve them. They think the church is here to support their dreams, their ambitions, their desires. And folks, when you say that the body of Jesus Christ is here to serve you, you're saying that the head of that body is here to serve you. Do you see that connection? The head and the body are one. We have people coming into local New Testament churches that believe that the church is here to serve their family. It's the same principle. Christ is not subservient to you. He's not subservient to your family. We as believing people are to lay aside our former manner of life, living individualistically, living independent of anybody, and that, of course, of Christ, living for ourselves. We're to lay all that aside, and we come and we join a body 
we become a reflection of our organic union in Christ by becoming members of local New Testament churches so that we no longer live for ourselves but for Him who died for us. And He died for the church. He gave His life for the church. And that is why it is absolutely critical that we speak the truth as it is in Jesus to one another. If I could be so bold, your opinion is only as valuable as it conforms to truth. Every opinion doesn't need to be heard. Every opinion doesn't need to be voiced. Young people, are you listening? You have opinions. You have opinion about all of us. All of us have an opinion about you. Who cares? What matters is truth. The accurate echo, speech, and behavior that's in Christ. That's what matters. And folks, we should never, ever act. I have acted this way. I didn't know any different. I've grown in my understanding, appreciation, and value of the local New Testament assembly. I would say so of you. But we are not to act as if the church or anyone else is to serve our individualistic needs and desires, our individual family and their ambitions, because neither my needs or my family takes any lordship over Him. He is Lord. He is the confession. So folks, this goes beyond just us saying, be truthful. What Paul is saying here is that in the nucleus of a local New Testament assembly, there should be no rich dwelling place for falsehoods. For the lie. For really anything that is outside of the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. That truth is to find a rich dwelling place here in each one of us, among each one of us, radiating out into a lost and dying world. So I want to ask you this. Do you characteristically speak the truth in Jesus to people? Do you have any confidence that regardless of the topic, 
whether it be football, basketball, or baseball. <laughs> if that's the topic, that you can speak the truth as it is in Jesus. Or if it's politics. Boy, that's a nasty one, isn't it? Are you speaking the truth about that situation as it is in Jesus? Whether it comes to your health and COVID, are you speaking the truth as it is in Jesus? Or are you just merely propagating opinion? Whether it's about salvation, do you understand the gospel and truth that to people properly? Or even if it's something as beyond our understanding as the Trinity, we are to be speaking the truth in Jesus, not merely following our desires, our opinions, our prejudices, our conspiracy theories, our way of looking thing, or our viewpoints. Now folks, I think it would be a great thing if someone would think about Faith Memorial Baptist Church and say something along these lines. I may not have liked what I heard, But I can almost assure myself that if I go there, I do hear God's voice on that subject. That if someone thinks about you, that they may say, well, I don't always agree with them. But I do believe that what they're telling me is exactly what God in His Word would tell me in that situation. Wouldn't that be a great thing? That would make you a person of truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer.